That's an excellent song. Ought to be the prayer that we have even before we open up his word. We want to walk closer, don't we? And that's uh, what we seek to do. We've got to know our Lord. And uh, so we're going to spend time in his word right now. Romans chapter 12 is where we start today. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read through the passage here. There's only 21 verses. This time sounds easy, doesn't it? So if you're following along in your scripture there, I'll start in verse 1 and keep going till I finish verse 21. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, So we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the uh, the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives, with liberality. He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take for your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. All right. Where do we start? Did you find enough there to do? Yeah, as I read that, I said, whoa, how do you, where do you start? Well, we start with prayer, and then we'll go into the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Even when we read it, and our first walk through it uh, this morning is overwhelming, there is so much, so much that we as believers are called to do. And Lord, it may seem like a a list that's too great, too great, but you have not relaxed what you have called us to do. 
And so we have come to you asking for help this morning. Help us to understand this passage. Help us to uh, do what you have called us to do. We seek to bring you glory with these lives that you have given to us. So help us today, we pray. As we submit to your word, may our hearts and our wills also submit to your way. In Jesus' name, amen. As we have worked our way into uh, this book of Romans, we understand the first eight chapters are highly doctrinal in nature. They have told us the nature of God's salvation and what he has done for us. Uh, It's only accomplished by his power. We have found that uh, it cannot be bargained for. We have found that the depths of our sin makes it impossible for us to earn his salvation. We have found that he calls us to faith first and faith faith only. We have found that uh, salvation is his gift to us. And when we're united with Christ, we should not continue to sin. When we understand the newness of the Spirit, we don't have to continue to sin. When we live lives that are godly, uh, we remember God dwells in us. When we go to Israel as our example in chapters 9, 10, and 11, the chapters most commonly ignored and passed by, we have learned three very important truths. One is that God is the initiator of our salvation. The second, that we are responders to God in salvation. And the third is that God gets the glory. Those things have sat before us so far. And now we come into chapter 12 where things get very practical. As you could already sense by the way we read this this morning. A lot of things we're called to do, right? Do this and do this and do this and do this, do this. These things we are called to do. Now, every chapter, I have pulled out one verse as a key verse. And you might have noticed that most of the time I pick one that you wouldn't expect. Because there's always a a verse in there that's very recognizable. And you say, well, that's the one that's got to be the key, because I know that one. And so, pastor goes and picks one that you don't expect at all. Today, I'm going to surprise you and pick one you do expect. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, he says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, I didn't choose that because it's familiar. I choose it because, in one sense, we could say it does sum up the chapter that's lying before us. But I think even better than that, not just a summary... It explains this chapter. It explains the actions that this chapter is calling us to do. How is it possible that we could do these things? Well, it all hinges right here on this very first verse. Now, there is much activity recorded in the book of, of Romans about our salvation. And I want to ask you a couple of questions. As a matter of fact, a whole bunch of questions that I have that are easily answered, I'm sure. After we review chapters 1 through 11, how much spiritual activity is credited to man in the act of salvation? None. You see? None. How spiritual were we before we came to know Christ? 
you could start shaking your head something like this, right? We, were, we weren't anywhere near. As a matter of fact, Scripture makes it very clear we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So then, how much of God's work in salvation was due to our wisdom? None. How much to our efforts? None. How much to our attractiveness? None. I mean, why would we just be passed by? We're so adorable, aren't we? I like Romans 5.8 for a great number of reasons, but I think it also sums up all that man contributes to the salvation story. It says in Romans 5.8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the part we contribute, folks. We are sinners. And we need his love. We need his grace. I want to start, even though we're here in Romans 12, I want to start with John 15 for a moment. Would you go over there, please? I I want you to see this. John 15, verse number 5. I don't know in the last four years how many times I've said this verse in the course of a sermon. Probably quite often. It's one that uh, has impressed me to the degree that I I just have to keep reminding myself. And if you keep hearing it, I'm reminding myself that this is what Jesus has said. In John 15, 5, he makes this statement, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That last phrase, apart from me, you can do, can do, that's the word dunamis in, in the Greek, dunamai is a verb. It means the ability, the, the, the power to do something. You can't do nothing, he says, apart from me. No ability. And what do you produce? Nothing. Nothing. That's a, a kind of a neat word. It comes from a great family of words in, in the Greek which speak of things like failed or impossible or never, none, nothing, nowhere, unable. Unaware, unwilling, unworthy, without. If you want, you could just put absolute negative right there. Absolute negative. Nothing. Nothing. In results, nothing. In effort, nothing. In quantity, in quality, in any location, in any consciousness, in any volition, in any will that we might have, in any value, nothing. Is that strong enough yet? Apart from him, we can do nothing. When can we do nothing? Look at the verse. When do we do nothing? Apart from him. Apart from him. Apart signifies a space. Alright? It means, it, it means we're separated. We're independent. We're by ourselves. Now, we can illustrate this, oh, so simply, over by the post office is an apple tree. It's not bearing fruit this year, so that means no post office applesauce. But, when it does bear fruit, 
we could experiment a little bit. We could go and cut off one of the branches. We could move it about four feet away from the tree. That's still pretty close. And we could lay it there on the ground. And it cannot sustain life to bear fruit. It cannot bear leaves by itself. It doesn't have any sap. It's not attached to the roots. It's only a short distance away. But it's not able to do anything. Sometimes we think we've got to have a huge gap to make this effective as nothing. You cut off a branch, you only need a matter of inches or even fractions of inches. It's still cut off. Scripture says that our righteousness is like a filthy rag. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot do it by our works. Here's the reality. We can't bear fruit either. If we're by ourselves, we cannot live if we're by ourselves. And if there's a message that the book of Romans has been teaching us on every single page, is that the works of man are nothing. The works of God are everything. And that's true on both sides of the cross, folks. Both sides of the cross. The Galatians have this error in their mind. And if you go over to Galatians chapter 3, you'll see what I mean in just a couple of verses. It's chapter 3, verse 1, 2, and 3. Galatians. Somewhere in there. There it is. You see, they, they were believers. They were saved by grace. Yet, they, they had this uh, idea, they were duped into that believing was only by faith when we're saved. But after salvation now, the rest is up to us. God saved us, but somehow we have to maintain that salvation by the deeds we do. And so Paul writes to them and says, You foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is one thing I want to find out from you, he says. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? They said, well, I received it by the hearing with faith. All right? He says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected, being matured, being completed, being finished by the flesh? How often we do that, don't we? We accept salvation as Romans chapter 1 through 8 tells us, as something God has done to save us. But now that we have to live out the Christian life, there must be a different way to do it. We're moving from theological to pastoral today. From doctrine, as some say, to duty. What we are actually doing is we have laid the foundation of all that God has done, and now we're setting the action on top of it. It's based on those truths. That we move, that we live, that we have our being. The foundation is the things that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. In saving us, remember he's the initiator. What is man? The responder. In salvation, he called us, he chose us, 
He predestined, he adopted, he saved, he justified, he sanctified, he glorified, we saw that. What do we do? We respond by faith, right? After salvation, is it different? Who placed you in the body of Christ? God did. Who does the body of Christ belong to? Belongs to God. Who gave you your spiritual gifts? God did. Who gives you the ability to exercise those gifts? God does. Who gives you the opportunity to exercise those gifts? God does. Who brings the results when you exercise the gifts? God does. What are we to do? We're to respond by faith. That he's at work. Working through us. You see, Romans 12 starts with that word, therefore, doesn't it? Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore. Therefore, actions required based on knowledge. Actions required. We have seen the truth. And the ultimate of all that truth was wrapped up in the last verse just before chapter 12, verse 1. From him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Chapter eleven thirty six. Do not see a space between verse 36 of 11 and chapter 12, verse 1. Do not recognize the space. Because the therefore is based on what we know. This is important, because this is the truth. If God gets the glory because all things find their source in Him, that's true. If God gets the glory because all things work through Him, uh, that's true. If God gets the glory because all things result in Him, and that's true. And He gets the glory for all things, and He gets the glory forever, then isn't it proper that He gets the glory in us? Therefore, alright, he starts to get personal. Therefore, this is a logical step by the way, it's very reasonable. Paul says, I'm going to urge you in this. Now he's not making a, a mere suggestion. This is called exhortation. This is, this, this is where he implores you, if you will. He, he's pleading with you. You, you who hear these things. There's a call for you to respond. Now I find this is very interesting. Even in our Sunday school lesson, it kind of woven together some thoughts that uh, I had already been thinking on this point of you. Now understand when I say you, I'm talking about me too. Okay, I'm not just standing here saying it's all your guys' problems. You. Think about this for a minute. You are the only part of the puzzle that needs to be aligned with God's sovereignty. We talked about the, heard about the story of Jonah here this morning in Sunday school. God called him to go to Nineveh to tell them they were going to be destroyed and Jonah refused to go. He said, I'll just go the other way. And he got on a ship to travel in the opposite direction. God called for a great wind, 
And it came. God called for a great storm. And it came. The ship was about to break up and sink, and the sailors were scared, and they didn't know what to do, but they figured that some god out there was angry, so they tried to appease him, and they found out that it was Jonah who was the culprit. At Jonah's urging, they threw him overboard. Interesting, the man would rather die than do the God, do the Lord's will. Begging the Lord to spare their life because it was Jonah's responsibility that they were in this mess, God told the wind to stop, and it did. God told the storm to stop, and it did. God called for a large fish. It came. God said, swallow him. It did. God said, sit at the bottom of the sea for three days. It did. God said, now spit him out on shore. It did. Jonah finally went to Nineveh. He preached a message of doom. The Ninevites responded by humbling themselves before God. The king, the nobles, every man, every woman, every child were to wear sackcloth. Even the animals. I love that part of the story. I'm reading through it and I almost chuckle. I try to picture you guys around here going out and putting it on your cows. The animals had to wear sackcloth. The goats, the cows, the sheep, put it on there. They were too fast, not just the people, but the animals too. Is that a full-time job? That's what they did. Jonah was angry. He didn't get the response he wanted, so he sat up on a hill hoping God would still punish them. So God called for a plant and it to grow, and it did. God called for a worm to attack the plant, and it did. God called for the sun to scorch the head of Jonah, and it did. God called for a scorching wind to beat on him, and it did. If you stop and look at that book, you'll see nature obeyed God. You'll see animals obeyed God. You'll see pagans obeyed God. But God's own prophet wanted things his own way. Paul, in writing to these Romans, is pleading with them to respond in an appropriate way to the sovereignty of God. That's what he's calling them to do. Paul says everything else is giving him glory. It's designed by his sovereignty. Everything is working just as, it, as it's supposed to. Brothers, how about you? How about you? So he makes his appeal to them according to the mercies of God. Now, in one sense, I like exactly what he's saying. But the other sense, when I, when I reflect on the fact that he appeals to us by the mercies of God, am I so callous that it takes somebody to bring that up to capture my heart? Am I so consumed with myself and my ways and, and this is the way I'm going to do it? that he has to say, let's remember the mercies of God for a minute. He appeals on God's pity toward them. And if you can't think of the gospel any other way, it is the mercy of God and what he has done. So often, to break these hearts of stone, we have to remember 
how merciful God's been toward us. It's His mercy that brought us into this relationship with Him when all the while we deserve death. Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's the way we formerly walked in our way of life. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we all too walked. Lifting in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Friday, when I had finished up working in the office, I came out into the lobby there. There was a snake in the lobby. Surprised me. That thing was in a hurry. It was running all the way to the door, and so I opened it. said, go on, out the door. And it went out on the sidewalk. And I said, what am I going to do with that thing? It was hideous. I threw the mat over it and stomped it to death. (laughs) This thing was this long. But it was a snake. And snakes to me, they might as well wear a t-shirt that says, step on me. That's what I'll do. People say, but that was probably a good snake. And I looked it up and it was. Not anymore. But nevertheless, what really did we deserve from God based on this characteristic of who we were? Stepped on. Really? The wrath of God. That's what we deserve, right? But verse 4, it doesn't say that. This is God's response to who we were and what we did. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. Does that break your heart just to know it? By grace you have been saved, he says. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is the mercy that Paul appeals to here. He says, I don't know how else to get the attention of you but to remind you of who you were when God in His mercy reached down and loved you and saved you. We ought to jump when we hear a therefore now to say, what do I do? How do I respond to that kind of grace, that kind of mercy? Just what Jesus did on the cross ought to break our hearts. At the very least, folks, at the very least, it ought to appeal to us. To respond appropriately to God's sovereignty and to His glory. And Paul says, I'm going to beg you, folks, according to that mercy, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Let's start with the most obvious place in that response. Our bodies. That's what he said, right? He wants to talk to us about that. Now, that's not new in this book. He's already dealt with that in chapter 6, especially. He says, remember, these bodies belong to him. 
We ought to present the members of our bodies to righteousness and not to unrighteousness. You can go back over chapter 6 and see it's loaded in that section, especially verse 12 through 19. We are to present our bodies, present the members of our bodies to God for righteousness. And it's because of Christ's death, it's because of our union with Him. I said it before in chapter 6, it says we should not sin based on that alone. If we would only keep that mindful. In chapter 7, it's because the Holy Spirit dwells in us. We don't have to sin. God is present. If we only keep that in our mind. But these bodies belong to the Lord. He is the one who made them. He's the one who maintains them. He's the one who remakes them at the resurrection. Wow, wasn't that, is that going to be great? These bodies are to give Him glory. So Paul says, present your bodies as a sacrifice. Now, since the last three chapters we're dealing with Israel, these folks would understand. Israel knew a lot about sacrifices. Their system was built on that. They, they knew what they were. Do you realize how costly they were? Generally, in some sacrifices, the people were to come with an offering that they could afford. The poorest may have only had a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons that they could offer, but it was a lot for poor people, and that's what they offered. And those who had a little more money would offer a lamb. Those who had even more money available would offer what was considered the most expensive of the offerings. It was a bull. I want you to remember something. In giving this offering, this animal, you weren't bringing it back home at the end of the day. To sacrifice meant to give it up. It wasn't yours anymore. Our bodies are to be sacrifices. They are not ours anymore. In 1 Corinthians, Paul dealt with this with them too in chapter 6. Listen to these words. Listen carefully. In chapter 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. We are called to present our bodies as sacrifice. We are presenting what he already owns. What he already owns that belongs to him. Now, in the very act of presenting something, it means you are standing by it. When you present it, you stand beside it. It represents uh, uh, your willingness, your sacrifice, but it also has with it the idea that you're waiting for approval. The priests knew this very well. Once a year, they were called to make the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement, that high priest. It was the only time in the entire year he was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. The only time he was allowed to go, and he couldn't go in there without blood. And he'd go into there and offer the sacrifice of blood on the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat. And the people stood outside of that tabernacle and waited. They waited to see their priest emerge. 
They waited to see him come so that they would understand that God had accepted the sacrifice. That's the way they viewed it over the years, to the point that they were a little worried whether or not God would accept it. Maybe it was the character of the high priest, or maybe it was the character of the people. But according to some tradition, they used to tie a rope on his leg. And if movement stopped in there, they realized God had struck him dead. And that was the only way to pull him back out, was with a rope on his leg. They were a little concerned whether God would accept them. Now when we bring our offerings before the Lord, which is, we're presenting our bodies, we stand before a holy God, we're presenting that which belongs to Him. Remember, He is the one who saved you by His mercy. Remember, He is the one who gets the glory in everything. And it kind of makes us stop and look again at what are we offering, doesn't it? Makes us wonder, what exactly are we offering to Him? What kind of sacrifice are we giving to Him? If we're giving Him our bodies, what, what are they supposed to be? He identifies it in three ways in this verse. Living, holy, acceptable. Living, holy, acceptable. Now, it's very true the Old Testament sacrifices were dead when they offered them. You bring an animal up there. It's probably best that way. Because I'm not sure the bull's going to let you pick it up and throw it on the plane. It might give a little bit of a fight, you know. But they were to kill those sacrifices before they put them in the fire. See, living sacrifices have a tendency to climb back down off the altar. Now you see our problem? Living sacrifices we're more likely to run than to give. However, God did not call you to be dead. He called you to be living. A living sacrifice, which shows how God is at work in your body. Now, we can't possibly study all of chapter 12 this morning. We'll get to it eventually. But if we scan through it from the words you heard today... In verse 6, we have gifts to exercise. Living bodies exercise these gifts. In verse 7, we're called to some to serve and some to teach. In verse number 8, we're called to exhort. We're called to give. We're called to lead. We're called to show mercy. In 9, we're to love. And we're to cling to that which is good. In verse number 10, we're to be devoted. You can keep going and going and going. They're all actions of living sacrifices. Those who are living as a sacrifice to God. These are the things of life. This is what living sacrifices do with their bodies. Are you doing anything as a sacrifice to the Lord? Or are you a dead one? A dead sacrifice. He calls us to be living. That's one thing. Mark that in your mind. The second one is just as important. Holy. Holy means set apart. It's an intentional act of setting something apart. You're, you've planned it as such. This is not just a, a spur of the moment. Oh, I better give an offering. But intentionally set apart for this purpose. A holy sacrifice. The Old Testament folks 
they set apart the best for a sacrifice. That's what they were called to do. Those weren't the leftovers. They weren't supposed to be. They weren't supposed to be the least desirable. You know, walk through the flock and say, hey, that's an ugly one. Let's sacrifice that. That's not the intention of what God had called them to do. Matter of fact, if you read Malachi chapter 1, God really pounced on them for that point. Because they were offering up the blind. They were offering up the lame. They were, they were offering up the, that which was kind of useless to the farmer. So let's give it to God. He says, would you do that with your governor? Would you do that with your king? But you have despised me, God says. You have despised me and given me that which is inferior. He calls for the best. He calls for a, a body that is holy. One that's set apart. Folks, I don't know about you, but living in this day and age, it's hard to be holy. We live in a very wicked generation. Very wicked generation. And we can't just be kind of holy, you know? We can't be just kind of separate. We either are or we're not. This is where the Christian's testimony before the world shines either the glory of God or the the influences of this world. If our bodies are not set apart, if our actions are not holy, what are we telling the world about our God? What are we saying about Him who deserves our best? What's our testimony to them if we are the ones who live like we despise Him? That's why we're called to be different. Holy sacrifices is the term. Holy sacrifices. Let that have its practical application in our hearts today. We're to be living holy and acceptable. This last phrase, acceptable, is fully agreeable, well-pleasing. What other kind of sacrifice can we offer? But that which is acceptable. And you say, well, what does acceptable mean? How, how, do I, how do I be an acceptable offering? How do I do that? Uh, let me give you just a, a taste of this, and I think it might help. Number one, God saved you. Two, God caused you to grow. Three, God caused you to bear fruit. That's the, what he does. That's his process. The fruit is a sign of maturity. It's a, it's, a, it's a sign that you're spirit-filled or you're spirit-led. That's the spirit's fruit being produced in you. So that means that if that is happening, if you're bearing fruit like you're called to do, you haven't been separated from the, the vine, have you? You have spent your time attached to him. That's the only way you bear the fruit. That means you're doing what God told you to do. You have responded by faith, like he said to respond by faith. You have obeyed his will, like he's told you, obey his will. And you're depending upon him fully, because you know apart from him you can do nothing. And in that you seek his glory. So what other kind of offering can you offer but what one is acceptable if you're doing it his way? He didn't tell you what an acceptable offering is as much as he said, if you do it my way, it's acceptable. 
far too often we're trying to find, just tell me what it is. If it means giving him my Buick, I mean, is that acceptable? Is that better than giving him a Chevy or a Ford? We evaluate according to the things, when all the while he says, no, it's not about the things, it's about your relationship with me. That's what's well-pleasing in my sight. When you do it my way, when you do it for my glory, that's acceptable. That's acceptable. So these sacrifices were called to be living, holy, acceptable. I want to ask you something, and it's real simple. What part of all of this has been beyond our comprehension today? What has been too much for us to understand? That God loves us and by His mercy He saved us? That He has done everything for us to put us in this relationship with Him? That He's now called, calling us just merely give ourselves to Him and He still is the one producing? He still is the one who's guiding? He still is the one who's causing us to grow? He's still doing all that. We have submitted to Him. Is that too too much for us to comprehend? That he just says, walk with me. That beautiful song we heard. Just a closer walk with him. He didn't cause us to anything other than present your bodies. That which is living. That which is holy. That which is acceptable. Because this is your spiritual service of worship. Don't call anything else worship if you won't do this. This is worship. Come to God, God's way. Walk with Him, God's way. Serve with Him, God's way. Let the results be God's results through you. Give yourself to Him. That's reasonable, Paul says, based on everything we know. That's logical. That's the way we worship Him. We don't need a whole seminar on how to worship. People do. They come in for a whole seminar on worship. How do you worship? And they go through all the the different aspects of worship and what it is. Paul defined it in one verse. Present yourselves to God. That's your worship. Why? I'll close with this. Why is that worship? Because then you understand who he is and what he calls you to be. That's worship. When you understand who he is and what he's called you to be. We should respond to that. This morning we're going to respond by prayer. The rest of the day we're going to respond with our lives. You've got living to do, don't you? You've got living to do for His glory. Heavenly Father, we bow before You. Absolutely amazed at Your grace. That You would look upon us with mercy and love us and do all this for us is absolutely astounding to us. Thank You, Lord, for it. Thank You for it. But we do not want to be the callous folk who hear these words and go out about our way, ignoring your mercies in our life at this moment. 
we don't want to go about our way without recognizing that these lives do belong to you anyway. And the response that we have, the way we participate, is to align our will with yours, to understand you're at work in us, but to work and to will for your good pleasure. So we present ourselves. And Lord, maybe I could say that for myself, and maybe others could say that for themselves today. And maybe not everybody in this room would say that. But that's our logical, reasonable, honest, and even worshipful response to you. And I pray, Lord, that you might trigger these hearts of ours to understand it. And to be what you've called us to be. Living sacrifices, holy sacrifices, acceptable sacrifices. Draw us back into this understanding. Keep us close to you that we might be what you've called us to be. Lord, I, I feel like what Paul has said. We're appealing today. Maybe we appeal to the folks that listen, but we appeal to you that you keep this fresh in our hearts and our minds too. Don't let us quickly forget what we hear, but may it change us. Change us because we've spent this time with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.